Welcome to Behind the Data, the podcast that takes you inside the world of market research and breaks down the topics we love to nerd out on. We've got a return guest today. Friend of the show, Michael Schaefer, oversees hot drinks research, but today we're broadening the scope. Michael and I will be chatting about food, more specifically, the future of the meal. Michael, if you thought I was passionate about coffee, get ready, because food is probably one of my favorite conversation topics. Well, I think it is uh, for all of us. Um, I wear a couple <laughs> of hats at Euromonitor. I also uh, manage our consumer food service research. Um, and so this is uh, likewise a topic near and dear to my heart. So I think we'll have a lot to cover today. Oh, yeah. I was really intrigued uh, when you kind of brought this up as something we could chat about because it's not really just food that we're going to discuss, but really meals, you know, trends we're seeing now, where you think things are going. And I feel like I'm about to think long and hard about my own eating habits. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, a big part of what I was trying to do, just kind of thinking about all of the ways that uh, the way we eat is changing and certainly the way we prepare food and how we find our meals, uh, how we uh, end up with those meals, that's that's changing pretty rapidly. Well, tell us more about these changes then. What kinds of shifts are you seeing in food and drinks, like how they're sold, how we're consuming? Set the stage for us. Happy to. Yeah, I think the uh, the big shift we're seeing is, and this is decades old in some ways, but um, it's it's certainly accelerating with the rise of delivery, is we're seeing, uh, particularly in, in wealthier markets among higher income consumers, but also even in places like India, China especially, uh, we're seeing a larger and larger proportion of our daily eating occasions as consumers uh, being served by be it restaurant operators or grocery stores with prepared food sections or delivery aggregators, uh, more and more of our daily eating occasions are being served by uh, prepared foods, foods with some kind of preparation. So I'm not alone in that I want to cook less. That's right. That's right. Every <laughs> Everyone is pretty much going in that direction. Um, we are spending less time cooking. We have less time cooking. Uh, and we're looking for more and more uh, more and different solutions to get there. And as more of these occasions um, become prepared, become served by prepared products, um, the range of things we're looking for expands. It's not just about indulgence. It's not just about you know quick service or fast food, so to speak. It's also about things like meal kits or um, you know meals where we do some of the finish finishing cooking, um, but a lot of the the items are prepared for us. Uh, or fresher things like, you know, sandwiches and so on. Um, you know, just as we, we demand more preparation, we have more preparation available to us, uh, the range of options that we need is expanding as well. So what does this mean kind of for brands moving forward? Because you're, you're talking about the shift. You mentioned it might be decades old. You know, how is this shaking up the industry and, and what should brands care about or pay attention to? Yeah, I mean, I think there 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 are a lot of a lot of shakeups uh, at play here. So I'll try to to go through um, the most important ones. I I think if we look at um, the 20th century, uh, I think we we see that the history of uh, packaged food and drink was very much about companies like Coca Cola, uh, Nestle, uh, Kraft, and others 
with with their very large brands of packaged food and drink products uh, and their ability to put those on every supermarket shelf, to put them uh, within reach of every consumer uh, when when they go shopping, when they go to the store. Uh, and that often ended up in a meal that was cooked at home, um, even if there was a substantial degree of convenience that came with a lot of these products. What's changing now, what we're seeing a lot more of, especially with the, the rise of delivery, uh, the rise of uh, online commerce and so on, is the greater availability of, uh, of meals, of complete meals that, that take a, a range of ingredients and uh, put them together uh, to create a complete meal. The greater availability of that, and I mean everything from a meal kit to a hamburger to a sandwich to a restaurant meal, all of that, all of that counts here. Don't I know it? <laughs> and and I think the the greater availability here and and the the greater competition for this, this is moving a lot of that consumer attention, a lot of that brand power, to the creator of the meal. And I think. You know, and, and I think a great example of that um, is if you look at like, you know, a hamburger um, from McDonald's, um, you know, we don't really think about the brand of the lettuce. We don't really think about um, who's making the bun. Huh. Surely, the, you know, there are companies that do this and, and they're, they're companies we're all familiar with, but the branding very much sits with McDonald's. And if we look at the rise of delivery, if we look at things like um, grocery stores where you can get various meal options, we can see more and more eating occasions where you know the brand really sits with who you're ordering from, whether it's Grubhub or whether it's um, you know getting a meal at Whole Foods um, or you know any number of other options. And that's a pretty big shift, and I think that. Um, really changes the competitive environment, especially for a lot of the big uh, consumer packaged goods companies that really, uh, really owned the 20th century in a lot of ways and face a lot of new pressures as we get deeper into the 21st. So how do those brands then kind of come into the 21st century and maybe integrate themselves in, in home delivery and, and that space? Well, I mean, there are a lot of different ways that they're trying to do it. Um, certainly, we're seeing partnerships with a lot of beverage companies uh, trying to partner, just as they do with uh, your more traditional food service players, trying to partner with delivery aggregators or working with convenience store operators, retailers, uh, to try to make sure that their products are part of that meal package. You know, and that can be as simple as, you know, just putting, you know, drinks uh, you know, next to, uh, you know, where you might be picking up your meal kit, where you might be getting your sandwiches, all the way to actual upselling of a specific item when you order uh, from, from a delivery aggregator and so on. Um, in terms of packaged food, we're seeing a lot more tie-ups with um, meal kit operators. Um, we're seeing a lot more uh, packaged goods companies um, either purchasing meal kit operators or looking for ways to work with them. Um, and, and so I think that's that's a big part of it as well. Um, we're also seeing a lot of experiments with, you know, doing food service. So you see, um, you know, Nestle and Coca-Cola both own coffee shop chains right now. Oh, that's a good point. And then I think that's, 
um, a very small step in the direction of trying to take control of some of that that final meal, uh, final consumer experience. And so I think we're going to continue to see um, a lot of development in, in that space. I want to kind of go back to something you mentioned, and that's sort of delivery infrastructure. And I might sound a bit naive, but it feels like we're already seeing this now with the restaurant delivery apps and the home meal kits. So my question for you is, you know, where do we go from here? Is there really much room to grow, change, and innovate in this space, or have we kind of hit the peak? Oh no, I think I, I think we're, if anything, only at uh, at the beginning of this. Um, if you look at uh, a company like Amazon, you know they've really ramped up their their spending on infrastructure. They're spending on physical buildings. Um, delivery resources uh, just in the last uh, two to three years. Um, and if you multiply you know, what Amazon is doing by what Walmart is doing, what seemingly every retailer is doing, um, you know, adding in things like uh, investments in vertical farming, um, yeah, sourcing food in cities um, and so on, I think we've really only just started in reordering our basically our entire food system uh, to be much more about rather than uh, serving consumers as they go to the shops, um, a much larger portion of that will be about delivering uh, meals which are prepared that same day, that same hour um, to people in their homes. And so I think there's going to be a lot of effort in that direction to connect uh, fresh food, be it from farms or warehouses, to final preparation areas and to people's homes. And and that's a process which I think is just starting to get off the ground, um, even in a lot of wealthy markets. Um, you know, if we look at markets like Japan, a little further down the road there, if we look at what Japanese convenience stores are doing, um, you know, they've really had a, a pretty powerful fresh food delivery infrastructure for uh, a number of decades now. And I, I think, um, you know, if you look at the US, I think we're, only starting to get into that realm of making those kinds of meals uh, more widely available. Huh. I do want to talk about homes for a minute. You keep mentioning, you know, delivery, the home and cooking less. So how is all of this going to kind of impact home layouts and kitchens, you know, come to mind for me first? I know we spoke to Michelle Evans recently about commerce in the year 2040 and what future homes might look like, you know, smart appliances and how they'd interact with us as consumers. But how will cooking less, you know, kind of impact the physical layout of kitchens? Well, I think there are there are a number of different ways that that could happen. Um, I think we're going to continue to see innovation in terms of uh, how to make it easier uh, to receive deliveries um, at home. I think one of the reasons we've seen the growth in click and collect, where you make an order and then you just pick it up from the store, um, is because a lot of homes, particularly single family homes, uh, are not really equipped for delivery You know, when the owner's not home. Right. I think over the next 10 to 20 years, we'll see more innovation in that space. Almost like the milkman in the 50s. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, it's back to the it's back to the future in some ways. <laughs> you know, you could even go all the way back to coal deliveries, you know, for heating. Uh, I think there could be more of that. We're seeing a lot of companies like UPS, Amazon, 
the logistics companies really experimenting with ways to uh, you know get the owner's consent to set up systems where they can make deliveries when people aren't home. And so that's kind of step one. The other the other thing I think that we're going to see more of is as cooking becomes more of a choice. Um, you know, less of, you know, just a daily, um, you know, refueling activity. When you say becomes, you imply that I'm cooking now, Michael, and we both know that I'm not, but <laughs> please continue. I'll rephrase and say, as we have more options. There we go. <laughs> um, I think we are going to see um, something akin to what we've we've already seen in the apparel industry, where, um, you know, we're never going to have a future without, um, without, cooking appliances, uh, people will, you know, are always going to cook to some degree, just as there are still people who sew. Um, but I think it will get more intentional. And so I think we'll continue to see the growth of, you know, perhaps more specialized cooking appliances, but also smarter cooking appliances, um, you know, that are more in tune with, um, you know, when people are going to cook, uh, it needs to be faster, but it also needs to be uh, perhaps a bit more special. So the growth in things like uh, relatively low price sous vide equipment, the fact that you see people who are, you know, familiar with what was a fairly obscure form of cooking, you know, even 10 years ago, we've seen a lot of growth uh, with systems like the Jewel. Yeah, thanks, Top Chef. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes. I mean, that's very much of a piece with that where um, as, you know, cooking culture, eating culture, um, just again, as it, as, it, as it has in apparel, it's become much more personal. It's become, you know, much a bigger part of a lot of people's identities. Even if we're cooking less food and talking about it and thinking about it um, continues to become a larger and larger part of people's lives. And so, you know, what appliances are, are you know, are there in 10, 20 years uh, are going to be much more about helping people do that rather than, you know, effectively cooking, you know, four out of five evening meals uh, in a weeknight. That sounds really ambitious. I'm certainly not doing that today. So I'm excited for the technology to catch up with my current life trends. <laughs> So this might be a stretch. I mentioned to you earlier that I love food, and I think one of our friends, Jared Corton, shares shares our love of food and snacks in particular. And, you know, we we had an episode with Jared where we talked a lot about how snacks are evolving and uh, a lot of snacks are starting to include protein. They're becoming heartier, almost like a mini meal. And as you're talking about cooking less and, you know, more convenience, I, I couldn't help but think of what Jared mentioned. And I'm curious where snacks fit in all of this. Yeah, I think this is a really good question. And, and it's certainly something Jared and I have talked about quite a bit. I think it's really two sides of the same coin. Um, I think both the expansion in snacking, the investment in snacking, uh, and the expansion and a lot of these freshly prepared meal options. Um, I think every consumer in a lot of markets is just looking to have more control, more choice in how they arrange their day. And so, you know, we know, uh, you know, based on data, based on, you know, talking to our own clients, talking to consumers, certain occasions I think are always going to be uh you know, just not not as as well served by delivery. Um, breakfast often comes to mind there. it's it's a it's a very fast um, occasion. People are often looking for something fairly small, fairly light. I don't know who these people are. I love a hearty one, but to each his own. 
During the week. During the week, you definitely <laughs> see people who are looking to uh, take some time out of the equation. And, and that's where snacking can come in. And likewise, snacking can also be a way of um, you know keeping costs down, of, of saving money, uh, and also of saving time. And so um, I think what we're seeing going forward is as consumer time is compressed for all manner of reasons, uh, we see more demand both for on-the-go snacks, but also, you know, at the end of the day, um, when we're looking to share time with the family, um, more options for meals that are a little larger, that are a little more substantial. Um, but I think they both very much come from the same forces. Phew. So snacks aren't going anywhere. No, they really aren't. Um, and I think to your earlier question about how packaged food companies especially are adapting to this new environment of meals, it is by um, really doubling down on what they're doing in the snacking space, because that's still an area where uh, I think branding, you know, of that product is much more, um, much more powerful. It's, it's less about, you know, integrating a lot of different ingredients into a meal, um, much more about that one you know, snack snack pack that you might have. And so that's that's one of the reasons why snacking has become so important for a lot of those packaged food players. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to think about it. And I'm trying just to wrap my head around all of this because I feel like we're kind of, we're covering so many broad topics. We're talking about snacks and packaged food. We're talking about delivery and infrastructure and appliances and home layouts and, you know, this ripple effect into so many different industries. So let's kind of try to consolidate all of that and and maybe chat about what this means in terms of opportunities for businesses, maybe not just, you know, the meal delivery companies or providers themselves, you know, but how does this expand for other industries and, and how can we all capitalize on this trend? Sure. I think it helps to reiterate this a bit. Um, if we're going from an environment where a, much of our investment, I mean, packaged foods companies and others uh, was targeted towards um, creating you know, stores that consumers could go to and they could buy ingredients for meals by and large. Um, if that is changing to a system where it's much more about putting freshly prepared meals and to a lesser extent snacks and groceries um, within reach of consumers to be delivered, if that's, if that's much more of the paradigm that we're seeing, um, I think that has a, quite a few knock-on effects, and we've talked about a lot of them, but I think some of the other opportunities uh, that we're seeing is really a reordering of space. Um, just to you know, throw another you know, vast topic there, thinking about um, what's happening in a lot of our cities as we see less infrastructure going to those uh, storefronts where people are going to go pick up uh, their products from a store, uh, we see more opportunities for things like um, uh, farming within the city, uh, for warehouse spaces, um, for all of the different um, things that need to be set up to bring fresh food in closer proximity uh, to consumers. And that's going to require a great deal of investment. Um, it's going to go hand in hand with the expansion of things like uh, autonomous vehicles, um, artificial intelligence for things like uh, unmanned warehouses and so on. Um, and so 
again, just to this point, I think we're in the very early stages, and that's not just um, in places like North America or Western Europe or East Asia. Um, you know, if we look at India, that's a market where a lot of this infrastructure is being built as well. Um, you know, in markets where modern grocery infrastructure um, was to some degree underdeveloped, especially outside of the largest cities, um, we're already seeing a move to, you know, more delivery um, and, and more availability of those types of products. Do you think the timeline might be faster in developing countries like that and they sort of bypass, you know, maybe a 20th century stage and just jump straight ahead to what's needed for the future? I, I, th I think that's exactly right. I think if we look at a market like China, um, in some respects, uh, you know, China is already uh, well ahead of North America and Western Europe. Uh, in terms of things like using one's phone to pay for things. Um, credit cards uh, never really took hold in China in the way that they did in North America, certainly. And so uh, paying by phone was in many ways competing with cash um, versus competing with cards. Uh, and so it was able to expand much faster. Um, it's, it's become a much bigger part of people's lives. And that's had a whole host of knock-on effects and how commerce has evolved. And so I think this... This issue of, of fresh food on demand, yeah, I think to a very real degree, um, you know, when you're seeing modern cold chain infrastructure, modern retail infrastructure uh, being built right now to serve demand for that, rather than retrofitting what already exists, uh, that can move very fast, particularly as we see the amount of money, the, the amount of investment that is streaming into this space. Well, let's talk about that amount of money. I mean, this all sounds really cool and exciting and innovative, but what will it take to get us there? You know, are we close? Is this decades away? What What does this timeline kind of look like? Um, I, I think it is it's helpful to think in terms of five and and ten year periods in in terms of how long it might take to to get there. Um, I, I think one of the reasons why I, I would say I'm a little more bullish on on how quickly this could advance is just the fact that you know every retailer, um, every food service operator, uh, seemingly you know every company in the tech space, uh, is is looking to ways to invest in this uh, in, in this broader space of autonomy and delivery uh, and and that that idea of convenience facilitated by by your smartphone um, and so if we, if, we, if we look at just the range of companies and investment funds that are involved in this space um, you know we're really talking about investment on the order of you know, hundreds of billions of dollars, and that's not even getting into, um, you know, the attention that sovereign governments are starting to make. You know, if you look at countries like China, uh, South Korea, um, Japan, and some others, um, you know, there's always been willingness on the part of the state um, to intervene and to, you know, provide investment where necessary uh, in things like infrastructure and so on, if it was deemed relevant um, to to a country's uh, you know to industrial policy, and and I think this space is simply too large uh, not to see to see a bit more of that. So I would say you know within the next ten years, um, you know we're going to see a pretty radical. Even in the next five years, I think we could see a pretty radical expansion, um, particularly as things like automation take off. Wow, that's I mean really cool and doesn't seem too far off. I mean Michelle's 
commerce in the year 2040 report was really interesting, but that feels super far away. So five years at least feels a little more tangible. Aside from the cost and timeline, you know, what kind of other challenges are we facing or would maybe brands and companies be facing? Well, I, I, I think there, there are a lot of potential roadblocks here. Um, I think we could start to see a pretty significant expansion in this with, in the next five to 10 years. Uh, but there are a lot of uh, issues along the way. There I, always are. Yeah, yeah, one <laughs> or two. Um, I think I, I think a very real one um, is cost um, f- to the final consumer. Uh, I think with investment, with uh, technological advancement, um, you know, we know costs uh, tend to come down as new technologies are introduced, um, as investment picks up, but. Um, a lot of what I'm talking about today is predicated on making things like delivery uh, broadly affordable to, uh, you know, essentially the entire population. Um, this doesn't happen if we're just talking about um, luxury services uh, for relatively well-off consumers uh, living in major metro areas. Sure. Which is kind of what we already have in in, in some areas. Um, it really... The, the investment needs to drive um, costs down. One other thing I would bring up that I, I think is is longer term and and we're thinking about is is the quality of you know the food that's being provided. I talk a lot about fresh meals on demand um, because I think that that's that's kind of what needs to happen. You know, for a long time when we think about going out to eat, when we think about ordering delivery food. Uh, you know, our minds still go to a pretty indulgent place, whether it's pizza or, you know, Chinese food or, you know, thinking about something as though it's an occasional indulgence and thus not really thinking about things like, you know, calories or fat or what what have you. So you're saying pizza every day is something I should start eliminating? (laughs) You don't crush my dreams. (laughs) I can't uh, can't make that decision. All I'm saying (laughs) is that... um, I think that is going to become, you know, much more of a topic of discussion as mm-hmm. this goes from, you know, being an adjunct to the packaged foods industry to a much bigger part of it. Uh, we get into some real questions of, you know, what does this mean when, um, you know, food really becomes more and more available, uh, really on demand? Uh, what does that do about our messaging around obesity, around indulgence, um, and around health? And and I uh, uh, do not have the answer to that question, or uh, I don't think we'll be able to answer it in the next ten minutes. <laughs> question um, that will become you know more pertinent and and more pressing as you know some of the trends we've talked about today uh, intensify. Yeah, I mean, I know you mentioned, you know, government intervention or support on the infrastructure and funding side, but you you bring up a really interesting point when it comes to nutritional standards, food quality, varying country to country. You know, this this is going to be really complex to to roll out around the world. Yeah, and and I think um, you know when talking about this, I think it's easy to kind of jump to the idea that. Well, this is a huge, you know, win for for the restaurant industry or for the food service industry, or for lazy cooks like me. <laughs> right, right. But I, I think it's it's an open question as to whether, um, you know, the same companies that that rule the food service space, the the largest companies and things like chain fast food, um, you know, whether they're really equipped to take advantage of this um, as 
the restaurant industry becomes, you know, more and more integrated uh, into just our daily eating, uh, that creates a whole new set of challenges. And I think it creates a lot of space for uh, new players to come at it in a different way. That sounds like a, a whole separate episode, a different conversation for another day. We could spend hours on that one, I'm sure. I, I'm up for a five-part series, but yes. uh, hopefully this has introduced some, you know, some food for thought here. Oh, no pun intended? Well, I, not, not <laughs> Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. You've definitely provided a lot to think about. I, I know you joked about a five-part series, but I feel like this is going to continue to roll out over time, and we're definitely going to want to follow up and explore and see what, what new challenges, opportunities, and barriers kind of come into play here. So more to come. I'm sure we'll, we'll have you back on the show soon. Definitely. Looking forward to it. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Behind the Data. We hope you're as curious as we are and will continue to listen as we dissect data, research, and everything in between. Thank you.